The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic to cosplay to Schitt's Creek to Supernatural and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of It's a Fandom Thing. On this episode, we're going to be discussing in great detail the new movie, Promising Young Woman. So this is your first warning. I'll warn you again that this movie will be spoiled. This is a movie you do not want to have spoiled for you. So if you are planning on watching this, do not listen to this episode. Watching the movie, excuse me. Do not listen to this episode right now. Watch the movie and then come back and listen to it because, uh, trust me, you don't want to be spoiled. Okay, but before we get into the movie and before I have our panel introduce themselves, just a couple of quick housekeeping notes. Of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. You can click the link in the show notes or go to our anchor page and click listener support there. Um, And of course, 50% of what we receive from that will be going to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. And also, just a reminder, we do have our Redbubble store now. So if you need a new mask, if you need a new mug, a shirt, a sweatshirt, just a sticker even, feel free to go over there and get your swag on. Um, And of course, 50% of whatever we see from that will also go to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Okay, so let's go around and have our panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing in pop culture you're into right now. Start with you, Carla. Hi. Uh, this week, I just finished watching Bridgerton, and as so many people in the universe did when this came out, became completely obsessed with with it. Um, like anything else, like I kind of developed like a very fast and hard obsession, and all of these things for the characters. Like, oh, I hate this one, I love this one, and then revisit it over, over, and in my head, ad nauseum, and tell everybody about it. So now I'm telling you, wonderful listeners about my current possibly one week long Bridgerton obsession possibly one week long (laughs) (laughs) this is how I can be on so many episodes of it's a fandom thing because it's like just ongoing cycle of I'm obsessed with this one thing and now I'm moving on (laughs) (laughs) that's funny (laughs) and Sarah well I'm like uh, Carla my uh, Bridgerton obsession has been going on for a few weeks now. <laughs> um, started, I started it a couple weeks ago. I have two more episodes. So uh, uh, that's uh, been sort of my guilty pleasure lately. And I have finally started uh, Clone Wars and have been binging that in uh, short spurts. So I got a couple things going on. 
Awesome. Well, maybe someday I'll check out Bridgerton. As I've mentioned before on this podcast, I am not a Regency era fan at all. Like, I can't stand Jane Austen. I want to fall asleep. So I don't know. I've hesitated. The representation in it makes me be like, maybe I should watch it, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm not normally a, a fan of, of, of it either, and I absolutely loved it. Okay. Or well, that, it, I should say. Yeah, well, that does that does give me a little bit more of a, a a nudge to see it. Although, of course, people said that about The Favorite, that I'd like The Favorite, and I absolutely hated that movie. So, <laughs> but we'll see. Um, and this is Aaron, and what I'm into is, along with Promising Young Woman, um, the other weekend I watched another really good movie that's available on Prime called One Night in Miami, which I don't know if anybody else on our panel has seen it. It's directed by Regina King, and it's based on a play, and it basically imagines there was one night um, after Muhammad Ali um, had one of his fights, I'll probably don't remember the name of the fight, so uh, forgive me. I'm sorry. I don't know boxing very well, so that's probably why. <laughs> um, but there was one night in Miami where um, Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown all gathered together. And no one knows what happened during that. So this is kind of an imagining of what happened when they got together. And it's just really good. It's The directing is really good. Regina King does a really fabulous job. It does have that feel of a play, but she handles that very well where you don't, I don't mind feeling I'm watching a play, but I know some people don't like that. So you don't feel like you're sitting there in like a regular theater watching a live stage play because she adds some other stuff in there. And all the performances are really good. I know a lot of people will always think of Denzel Washington as Malcolm X, but I think Kingsley Ben Adir adds a different sort of flair to not flair I guess might not be the right word but a different sort of um not edge but he it's a different kind of performance I guess I'm not probably describing it very well but he's really good and the whole cast is really good so I highly recommend that as well hoping to see some nominations for that come Oscar time which is really late this year but (laughs) April Okay, and speaking of stuff I want to see come nomination time, we are going to dive into Promising Young Woman. And uh, just a couple of notes again, we are going to be spoiling this movie, including the end. And you really do not want to be spoiled, especially about the ending for this movie. So warning again, this is your last warning to turn away and then come back after you see it. Um, Other warning, of course, trigger warning. This movie deals a lot with sexual assault. Um, And so if that's at all triggering for you, this conversation might be triggering as well. Um, We might even end up bringing up suicide. So I just want to put that out there as well as some trigger warnings. Okay, so I just want to start and just get some brief like thoughts, Carla. What are your overall thoughts of the movie? I was left very impressed. Like I'm still processing a lot of it because there's so much there to process. But I was just really impressed with how uh, the movie as a whole jumps from genre to genre. And it's not until the end that you understand why and how everything ties together and why every bit of it is important to, to know and to experience before you, you reach the ending. So I, I'm just, I, I think it's a, it's a good mark for a movie that it can kind of sit you on your heels and make you go like, what just happened to my eyeballs? 
and that's how I felt like since I watched it. Like I I, I watched it, and I think that like, you also said that like, you don't usually rewatch things right away, or maybe with somebody's because you definitely rewatch things right away. <laughs> but I I did <laughs> I did end up rewatching it. Me. <laughs> no, I know. I'm like, wait, that can't be right. This is Aaron. <laughs> Who am I talking about? Um, but I did end up rewatching it like pretty much immediately when it ended because I was like, ah, uh, I need some answers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and and Sarah, um, I have not rewatched it yet. I do plan on rewatching it because there is there is a lot to process. Um, I mean, overall, I think it was uh, fantastic. Um, just uh, the whole concept of it um and it does slip around from genre to genre um you know and uh, you have you do have your little romantic comedy type section and and your uh revenge thriller section um i know that section is not the right word um as a filmmaker you're probably better at that than i am (laughs) describing that um but i i mean i i was I, I was blown away by it. I mean, and I literally like the last 15 to 20 minutes, I was sitting on the edge of my couch with like my hands over my face, like just tense watching it. Um, so I think I need to, you know, after reading some of the articles and, and reviews and stuff, um, I need to go back and, and probably will rewatch it uh, at least one more time. And I think it's one I'm probably going to purchase when it is uh, available for uh, uh, download. Yeah, I uh, I watched it three times within 48 hours. I rented it again last night and watched it again for a fourth time. Um, I had been looking forward to this movie for over a year, as I've said before on this podcast. And this movie was different than what I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I thought it was going to be like a straight up revenge, rape revenge movie, which we've seen those before, but I really thought that's what it was going to be. And in my mind, it's not that at all. It's a very different kind of movie. Um, and I'm going to try not to get emotional during this podcast, but it might not happen. So I'm going to try to be very professional, but this movie is a very, was a very cathartic experience for me. And this was one of the most I know it may sound weird with the way the ending happened but was one of the most realistic movies I have seen when it comes to this subject ever and I don't think this movie could have been made by anyone but a woman and if it had been made by a man from the opening shot to the end it would have been completely different and so I think that's why it's important to have female voices out there so yeah so I absolutely love this movie Um, I have been listening to the soundtrack over and over and over and over again. I never thought I'd listen to a Paris Hilton song on repeat, but I have been, (laughs) and I have the song stuck in my head constantly. So yeah. So yeah, I just, I think overall, I just think it is a brilliant movie. I understand though. I want to say up front, I understand why people have issues with this movie. I really do. And I have, I understand why people have issues with the ending. I really do. Um, but to me, it's, it's a film that I appreciate more and more on rewatches and catch things that basically are foretelling the whole ending from the very beginning. So, yeah. Okay. So let's get into the main character, Cassie, 
who um, we first meet her, of course, in the opening scene, which um, she is on a couch. And this is why I kind of wish I had never watched a preview because you know right away that she's from the preview that if you watched them that she was faking this. But she's passed on a ca- out on a couch, drunk, not really passed out, but just drunk. And these guys are talking about her. And one of them goes up, who's a quote unquote nice guy, and goes up and offers to take her home. Um, and you know, this whole thing ensues where he try he pours her a drink, and of course, pours her a drink with more alcohol than his drink. Um, even though she's already almost about to pass out, she falls down on the bed, and he's just like, "Don't fall asleep," and starts undressing her. And then she instantly snaps. You see her eyes change. You see everything change, and she's like. Hey, I'm, you know, sober. And this is something that she does nightly is goes out to bars or we don't know nightly, probably weekly. I think she says that at one point and pretends to be drunk. And every time a quote unquote nice guy takes her home and tries to take advantage of the situation. And basically, in my mind, that's rape. And so she and then she sobers up and they get scared. We don't see every interaction. But I want to talk about that, about if you think this is revenge or why you think she's doing this particular thing. I mean, cause as far as we know, she's never hurting these men physically. Um, so why do you think she picks this to do? Because we do find out of course that her f- best friend Nina um, had been sexually assaulted when she was drunk at a party when they were in med school. But do you think that's the only reason she chooses to do this, Carla? Or what do you think her reasoning is for deciding to do this as her kind of quote-unquote revenge? You know, it's really interesting because I don't think it is revenge. I think it's self-flagellation. I, I think it's that's part of what's brilliant about the movie is that it sets it up in such a way that you think you're coming into a revenge th- thriller, that you're coming in to watch a woman take on the, these men and patriarchy and everything will be fine in the end because she will bring justice about but that's not at all what's happening the the further you get in the more that you see that this is something that cassie is doing to herself because she feels she feels guilt over the fact that one she didn't accompany nina to that party on that night as if she could have maybe stopped her from being raped and two that she's living with this survivor survivor's guilt survivor's remorse for surviving after nina dies um and one thing that that was very interesting to me is the fact that you know her name is cassandra which means one who shines and excels over man which i thought was very interesting and it says a lot about the the movie's intent for what the audience will see of the character going into it um in the greek mythology cassandra was uh she had the gift of prophecy but she was cursed so that no one would believe her prophecies. And in this case, Cassie is the proxy for Nina's anguish and grief. And she carries the burden, not of prophecy, but of truth. And it's a truth that nobody will acknowledge. So that, you know, in and of itself was fascinating to me. Like I finished the movie and immediately was like, oh, I have to see if my, you know, my, my memory of mythology is everything. Oh my God, I'm sorry about that. That's so interesting. But, you know, the more that you go through it, and she seems like almost like a like a joker type of story where you have somebody who who has gone through a lot and has borne the burden disproportionately of other people's actions and behaviors um 
and is acting out in a way that is not socially appropriate or acceptable. But, you know, where the Joker tries to justify murder or just wanton murder, for that matter, this movie sets it up so that you're on Cassie's side. At the very beginning, you watch her walking with, you know, she's barefoot, she's she's in her white shirt and there's like a streak of red and she's holding a pastry. And, you know, oh my God, is that blood or is it jelly? And later on, you come to learn, okay, it was probably jelly. It's fine. She didn't murder anybody. But it's that that setup of that thought, you know, like this is somebody who is doing awful things in service of something, but in service of what? But she herself, the, the further you, the more that you watch, she's disaffected, but she's also very just mission oriented. Like she doesn't care about herself. She doesn't care about anything going on to her or to her life. And at the end, when she's in the cabin, she uh, she almost seems like to dissociate completely. Like, well, not completely, but definitely to a point because she just seems to be outside of herself. And although she puts herself in danger constantly, this is absolute moral peril because she's walking. And when she open, you know, she knocks on the door to where they're having the bachelor party. She's walking into a wolf's den. And that's the feeling that you get, that she's walking into slaughter. Um, and, and you know, all of it goes back to what I said earlier. It's, it's self-flagellation. She feels awful. She hates... Well, she doesn't even hate. Like, she's so removed from, from feeling at this point that she just wants people to go through something. So that she doesn't have to go through something alone. And she wants Nina's name remembered. She wants what happened to Nina acknowledged. But there's nothing going on inside of her for much of the movie. Um, it, it's just really fascinating and so sad. That was the, the overwhelming feeling, I think, once you get to the end of it, of just like profound sadness. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Sarah? Uh, very very well said um i agree i don't you know it it, it does uh play off uh, you know, initially as a um a, a revenge motive um but i don't i don't think that's the case at all um i got more out of it um that you know this this is exact what she is doing is exactly what happened to Nina. Um, Nina had too much to drink and was taken advantage of, um, which yes, is rape. Um, and I think in a way, I, I think partially she is trying to bring awareness to this, to call out these so-called nice guys on what they're doing, um, because they think they're doing nothing wrong. They don't see that what they're doing is is considered sexual assault, is considered rape. Um, you know, they think that, you know, they're the women are consenting. So in a way, I think she's trying to bring awareness to this and, and show, and show these assholes, sorry. Um, I mean, they really are when it comes, when it comes down to it, um, that, 
and they're, it's just calling them out on their crap and, and what they're doing. Um, and I don't, and, and I mean, she's doing it. She just seems so empty um, when she's doing this. Like there's no, there's no emotion. There's no feeling. Um, and it's, I think it's also in a way that she's doing this maybe to punish herself as well um, because she does have a lot of survivor's guilt. Um, one from not being there for Nina uh, that night and, and then from losing her friend to suicide. Um, so there is a lot of survivor's guilt that she is dealing with and this, I think she's internalized a lot of it, but at the same time, this is also the way that she is. I don't even know if I want to say this is how she's processing what Nina went through and, and what she went through. Um, that's probably not the, the right description for it, but um, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, I, I mean, overall, it, it, I mean, Carla's right. It's just, it was this, just this deep, sadness in her really the only time we ever saw her show any sort of of happiness is when she was with ryan um you know and she had that very very brief moment of happiness until she found out the truth which i know we'll delve into later um and then that that switch just flipped and she went right back to back to punishing herself again. Um, that's the best way I could describe it, I guess. I'm, I'm not as eloquent with my words. <laughs> no, that's, that was great. I, I agree with both of you. Um, and that's what's so fascinating about this movie. And that's why I think this is better than if it had been just a straight up revenge flick, because it's a lot more realistic um, the director herself has said that she sees Cassie as an addict. She is addicted to doing this and she gets this high from doing it. And then she just drops down like most addicts. So it's kind of an addict's journey. And with an addict, you might have the outcome that you have with Cassie or you might not. Um, and that's the way she kind of viewed it was she's addicted to doing this, which makes sense um, in a lot of ways because you can see – um, her power within it, um, how she might feel a little bit more powerful. She might feel a little bit more alive while she's doing this to these men. But then you kind of can see that wall crumble down. You can see it fall apart. You know, I mean, she's she's living with her parents. And every time she sits there at their little kitchen table and has breakfast, she's like this totally broken person. She doesn't even remember her 30th birthday. She doesn't even remember the date of her birthday. I mean, that's pretty telling right there that she pretty much died when Nina died. Um, her whole self just was shattered. And I mean, there's a whole wonderful little line of dialogue from her dad after, you know, she brings Ryan over for dinner and her dad is saying, you know, how both her parents really, really loved Nina. And Nina was like a daughter to them and they miss her a lot. But man, did they miss Cassie. And that says a lot that they just, you know, she's gone to them. Um, and it's really, really sad. It's a really tragic story. 
Um, and it really shows how how rape and sexual assault and and also suicide as well, but how that can have a lot of lasting effects on a lot of people and not just the victim. Um, and I think for Cassie, she really looked up to Nina and you, you know, she has a whole speech about that, about how she couldn't even believe that Nina wanted to be her friend. And so I think for her to lose somebody that was like her hero was just earth shattering to her. And I think there's a part of her that feels like it should be her who died instead of Nina. And Nina was more worthy of life than she was. And I don't think she can wrap around her head that somebody that was so amazing and beautiful and wonderful and was, as she said, fully formed from day one, how that person could be gone and she's still there when she, in her mind, wasn't as perfect or wonderful as Nina was. And so I do agree. I think there is this amazing amount of survivor's guilt and, um, you know, it's, and you see that with her where she'll have these breaking points. She has this wonderful scene with Nina's mom and Nina's mom is just like, you have to let this go. And, and I, you know, and Nina's mom's even like, you know, for Nina too, you have to let this go because you know that Nina wouldn't want her best friend to be living this life. Um, all these things she's doing to these men, I don't believe Nina would have probably wanted for her friend to do. Um, you know, and there's all these other things she does. We'll get into it more um, in a little bit here, but there's all these things she does to the people that she blames for what happened to Nina, not just Al who raped her, but also the other people that were involved, including women. And we're going to get into that when we talk about what this says about society's complicity with this. Um, but it's just a fascinating character study really to watch someone. And there's, there's this, this one of the scenes that sticks out to me the most is when she stopped in her car and she has her head down on the steering wheel. And there's a guy yelling at her and screaming at her. She's blocking. And she's just in this like, profound like she just had this one moment of revenge against the dean of the school they went to the med school they went to and it's like her high has dropped and now she's just weighted down by the grief and what she's doing and the fact that her life is like become this thing that's just consumed with this grief and wanting people to pay and wanting an answer for why this happened and in her mind wanting to bring her friend back which can never happen and then she just gets out of her car and just smashes up this guy's truck. And you can see she's got this smile and she's got this like, you know, and he's like, you bitch. And she's just like, what did you just, what, what, what did you say? And she just calmly says, what did you say? And he drives off and she stands there. And then instantly she realizes what she did. And you see her shaking, her hands shaking and she's about to cry. And it's just such an amazing moment because it's just like, She's like, wait a minute, what the heck did I just do? It's like she almost doesn't even know what she's doing anymore. And I just, that one always sticks out to me the most because you really see all the different layers of the character. But yeah, definitely not a real typical revenge thing because, I mean, and like you said, Carla, the last part, even the way it's shot of her going into the bachelor party is very much like going into the wolf's den. I mean, it's even, you could even say Little Red Riding Hood going up to the big bad wolf. I mean, even the way it's shot is like that, where you just see her 
going up there and disappearing and getting smaller and smaller as she walks up the road to the cabin. And you just kind of know that this is not going to end well. Um, so yeah, that's, it's, it's just amazing. I just, that's why I think it's such a special movie because it's not like a typical revenge thing. Um, and so we've always already kind of touched on the grief and survivor's remorse. Um, I do want to say, and then I'll ask if there's anything else anyone wants to add on that. There is a great article by Candace Frederick and you can find it in L, but she does interview a recovery coach and stuff and, and, and someone in there talking about talking about how this is just uh, this is this movie is a portrait of survivor's remorse and how really the ending is the only ending this movie could have had because of the way it's structured i want to ask about the notebook because she keeps a notebook where she keeps all the names of the guys and she also has little check marks that are in different colors a lot of people are wondering what the different colors mean um, I've listened to an interview with the director where she's asked flat out and she said, I will not tell you. So <laughs> it's one of those things that's left up to interpretation, which I appreciate at the same time I want to know. So I just want to quickly know, does anyone have any theories or anything that you might think of with the notebook, Carla? Not really. Like I thought about it for, I just thought about it briefly because it just, it's not one of the things that stuck out as much in my mind as other elements of the movie other than you know if um what she does is a drug then this is a drug paraphernalia like you know or alternatively it's also like in dexter where he has those little um his souvenirs which are the little blood samples and the slides that he keeps behind his ac that that that's a similar thing the colors i don't know maybe she just likes the two colors together and she likes having them in order Aww. but that was like my only thought it, especially because in the end she she chucks it into the garbage can um much the way that in a lot of of uh movies that are about uh drug addiction you have the the, the cathartic moment when they're throwing out their paraphernalia and that was like as close as my brain could get to it and i'm like oh good enough yeah that's that's good sarah do you have any theories um yeah well and that, that's actually a very interesting uh, a theory, um, you know, that that is like her, her drug paraphernalia because it is almost like she's addicted to this. Um, you know, I, I thought about the colors a little bit because I don't know why I focused in on that, but I'm like, I wonder what the colors mean. Um, you know, my first thought was there was one color for the guys that took her home and took advantage of her and another color for the ones that just got her home safely. Um, I don't know if that's accurate or not. There may not be any meaning to it at, at all. That was my first thought. Um, and, and that's how she was uh, uh, keeping track of it because I think, and again, I have to watch it again, but I think even the names she had written in different colors as well, not just the, uh, the tally marks. She had names written in different colors. I mean, it, it could be something that they put there because they wanted people to try and interpret it or it could mean absolutely nothing. Yeah. Um, but I mean, obviously the, uh, it, it was, the notebook was something that was important to her. Um, and, uh, you know, I was also curious about the scrunchie too, if there was some significance with the scrunchie that she used to, uh, 
to keep it closed. I wonder if that was Nina's at one point. But uh, yeah, those are those are kind of my only thoughts on it right now. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought with the scrunchie. I was like, I bet that's Nina's because you see, even when she th when she throws the notebook away, she keeps the scrunchie, so she doesn't throw the scrunchie away. So that to me has a, it means it has more significance. Um, there are a lot of theories. Some people think the red means that they were violent with her. Um, and they were, or they might've been the ones that like she says, um, when she's, and I'll just say this, like everybody's been saying when she's with McLovin <laughs> and, um, you know, when she says it was really sweet, you woke me up before you stuck your fingers inside of me. Um, you know, so maybe it's the people that didn't wake her up. Um, other people have theorized that, you know, it's people that she actually did hurt, but I don't think she would do that. So I don't agree with that theory. I don't think it fits her character to like kill people. I mean, it just, she wouldn't do it. I don't think personally, um, you know, so that that's been some theories that I've, I've heard around. Um, personally, the theory that I could see would be the one where red would mean maybe they hurt her in some way physically. Maybe they, were a lot more persistent. Maybe they were creepier. Like you hear the voiceover of the guy who's like into the pigtails and that's even creepier than, I mean, they're all creeps, but you know, there's like some kind of other weird thing with that where he's likes them because it makes her look really young. So maybe it's, they're even creepier. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a good thing to theorize and we'll probably never, ever, ever know. Uh, Carla, you wanted to add something there? I thought it was, you know, with that theory that it's some people that she did hurt it makes me think of when she's with Paul again, that second time outside of the bar. And um, she says to him that, Oh, there are a lot of us. One of them, one of us carries um, scissors with her. Mm. And I'm like, is it you? <laughs> <laughs> like, are you just a lot of people? You know, because there's a lot that's left really uh, unresolved and unanswered. And now I'm like, oh, is that one of the things that I should have been wondering about? <laughs> that's 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 a good point. I didn't even think about that, but that's that's true. That scene, I love that scene so much because she just, oh my god, she just really the way she lays into him is so. Perfect. I mostly love that he ran away crying. I know, I that know. was fantastic. I was like, oh wow, why do you have to ruin everything? I mean, the fragility no. of the male ego. I know it was so perfect. It was just so perfect. I love that scene. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, I didn't think about that, but maybe because hmm. I know I was listening to another podcast and um, it was some guys and then they had one woman on there and she said, you know, part of me was like, can you just hurt one of these guys? Can we just see you hurt one of them? We just just one. <laughs> one is just one so that's an interesting theory um and we already touched on this one a little bit about whether you know she the, the self-flagellation and wanting to hurt herself do you think she has a death wish though carla do you think she wants to die you know i don't think that she has a death wish so much as she has a death indifference i think she goes into these situations not really concerned with herself because like i said She's, this isn't so much about her because she's disconnected from herself and from her feelings. This is more about bringing Nina back to relevance and highlighting 
what these guys do as being bad things that should be acknowledged as bad. Um, so I, she certainly puts herself into situations that could go very poorly for her because, you know, the way that this is shot and the way that that we're seeing her as, as this very powerful woman who has all of this just control and uh, capability about her and the interactions that we see has her startling the men so thoroughly that all they can do is nod and exceed. And that's it. But she's a tiny woman. Like, you know, even though um, Ryan is exceptionally tall, she's not a very large woman. Um, Who knows what she could encounter when she goes home with one of these dudes. Um, And then in the end, when she goes into a bachelor party, which is one of the like more loaded situations you could put yourself into as a vulnerable person, that's a lot of uh, lack of precaution that she's taking. And even though she handcuffs Al to the bed, I mean, like, he still has legs. There are still things he could have done besides what he did. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't, think that she sought her own demise i just really think that she didn't care Mm -hmm. and sarah oh yeah i definitely agree with all that um i mean that was my thought too is uh she didn't necessarily have a death wish but she she didn't care she was she was dead inside already um and really didn't care um if she lived or died she didn't care what happened to her um, you know, she wasn't, was she actively seeking out to harm herself? Yes and no. Um, I mean, putting herself in those situations, you don't know what someone's going to do. Um, but then at the same time, I don't think she really cared what happened to her because it wasn't, it wasn't about, it wasn't about her. Um, it was about Nina. Um, and, uh, I just, yeah, I mean, I I don't think it really, nothing really mattered to her anymore. It was just, she was just empty. Empty. And it's sad. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything both of you said there. Um, And I think the other part of it was she just felt if I do die or if something does happen to me, it's a means to an end. Um, and I don't think she wanted to die. I really don't think she wanted to die. I think there's even a moment at the end when she's sitting in her car before she gets out where she's kind of like, okay, I can do this. I don't want to fully do this, but I can do this. Um, and there's the moment, of course, we'll get into it here really quickly soon. I mean, where she is heartbroken by something she finds out about Ryan and she has that moment of grief. And then she's like, okay, over with that. I got to get back onto the mission at hand. Um, so I don't think she has a death wish, but I, but like I said, I think she just realizes that that could happen. And like the director said, the director's like, you know, it is not realistic to put a woman this small and tiny in a room full of men that could overpower her and be like, oh, everything will be okay. She's like, yeah, in my head, maybe at one point, um, 
and this is a little bit of a trivia. She's like, at one point, I did have in my head that she would go into this bachelor party and she just kills everybody. But that's not realistic. That would never happen. So even though you want to see that, that's something she's not going to be able to do because, you know, even if she were to train and train, she's just, you know, like you said, Carla, she's a very, very tiny person. And especially if she's going into a room filled with men and not just one man. And those handcuffs, those aren't like, you know, those are like playtime handcuffs. Those are not like real handcuffs. So, yeah. And I think she knew that that could happen. She knew he could get out of those. She knew that was a risk she was taking, but she was willing to take it um, because, you know, she really didn't have a life anymore anyway. And she just needed to do something to, this was her way of processing this death. Um, And so, yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. She didn't really have a death wish, but she didn't really care at the same time. Um, Okay. So I want to move on now to Ryan because Ryan is such a fascinating character and I love what was done with this character. Um, So Ryan comes along pretty early on. He comes into the coffee shop that Cassie works at, recognizes her from med school, um, you know, says kind of an unflattering thing, basically saying, why in the world are you working at a coffee shop? Insulting her. And then they have such a, it's such a meet cute moment. It is like (laughs) one of the best meet cute moments I have ever seen in a movie that's really not about what you think think that moment's going to be about and he even says well you could spit my coffee and she does it and I thought that was incredible (laughs) it's like you never really see that happen um and he asks her out of course and other things happen that I think once you rewatch it especially you see all the red flags about this character about Ryan um but they have a whole amazing scene one of my favorite scenes I've ever seen even though I know what the outcome will be Where they go to a pharmacy and he starts singing along to a Paris Hilton song. And then it's a whole montage, a whole romantic montage. And so he like represents this one fraction of a moment of what maybe her real world would be like if she were to give up this um, plot that she has. If she was to give up these things that she does, her nightly rituals, her addiction. If she was to give that up, maybe this could be the life she could have and she gets a glimpse of it and... You know, he even works with children and he's like funny and, you know, quote unquote non-threatening. And he's just the sweetest guy in the world. And he's got some great lines. And Bo Burnham it was the perfect casting choice for this character. Um, you know, as he said, he's said that he uh, was basically in a romantic comedy the whole time. <laughs> and that's really what he was doing. He was that romantic comedy character. Um, you know, he's just very sweet, unassuming. You don't think he's threatening, like I said. But there are a lot of red flags with this character. And so I want to talk about those. So Carla, I don't know if you picked up on him the first time or did you see any the second time with him, the red flags? Yeah, and and here's the thing, because with me with rom-coms and this, I would watch movies and then compare notes with my friends and I they would be like, oh, isn't this romantic when he did that? And I would be like, no, that was just really weird. Like, who does that? And so my experience with rom-coms, even though I love rom-coms and I love a lot of the ones that even I find some actions like weird and problematic, I can still spot these things and be like, what is going on here? 
And the the first thing that caught my attention was the insistence because she blows him off, but he he just keeps coming back over and over again. And I'm like, she has already said no. You know, I get that this, this rom-com trope of the guy just perseveres because he's nice. And so he gets the girl in the end by not giving up. And listen, there's great value on not giving, giving up like on your dreams, like on drinking water. Those are great things to not give up on. But when it comes to somebody's consent, when somebody says no, no matter what their reasons and no matter how good you think they are for them, back off. End of story. And he doesn't. And it's supposed to be romantic. Which, if this were a standard rom-com, you know, like, I would be having qualms about it. But in the end, I'd be like, oh, ha, ha, you know, cute. But uh, there was this one moment when he, when they're going out on their date and they're having a great time and everything's going really well. And he walks her back to his apartment it was not only presumptuous because that's the best way that you could put it. It was very creepy and messed up that he did that because there was no prior discussion. There was no indication on her part that she would be willing to go back to his apartment. The only indication was they're having a good time and enjoying each other's company. That is not code for, I'd really like to blow you right now. And I think that that's one thing that like the quote unquote nice guys think that because a girl's having a good time with you that she owes you something or that she wants something more. And I remember I, I went out on this date once with this guy from huh, Christian Mingle. And it was hilarious because um, we went to dinner and we went to bowling and had a nice time. And then he dropped me back off at, at my apartment and he kept like hinting that he wanted to come up. And I was like, I just met you, bro. Bye. Um, and, and this reminded me of it because it's the whole nice guy thing that they do when they're only a nice guy to themselves and they say, but I'm such a nice guy. And in the end, they're really not They're presumptuous as hell. Um, the other red flag, and this is why, you know, from the moment that he said that, okay, they, they met in med school and that's, you know, you get to know more about the story and I was like, okay, he, he has to have had some kind of involvement in some way. Because you don't just lay something out like that if you're not going to use it later. Um, and in particular, the fact that he is being set up as, as a nice guy. And he has all these red flags already. And there's almost like this inevitability that there will be something horribly wrong about him. And what's more horribly wrong than being an accessory to a rape? And not either uh, trying to put a stop to it and not coming to the defense of the person being raped. Um, but even though we don't find that out until much later, that stuff was like in the back of my head, like nagging at me. And, you know, one of the, the things that, I, that I'll just add as the last thing, casual insults. And, you know, we're, we're kind of socialized to think of them as endearments. Oh, you stupid head. Oh, like, I, you know, like, this and that and whatever because he, he does this at two points in the movie one where she goes to him to apologize for being so abrupt with him um and he he says something like you miserable you know posterior orifice figure out what that word means for on your own time um and then he he calls her a stupid 
da-da-da, later on. That, those are not cute. That's not cute. That's not endearing. That's not nice. But we're socialized to think that, oh, if it's said with the right tone by the right person, then it's acceptable. It is not. Let me tell you, it is not. Um, and they just let that go, which seemed very weird to me. But, yeah, there you have it. You know, like the portrait of a nice guy. Yes, yes. Thank you for saying those those names because it really even hits you even more the more you watch it when he's like um, an all curse. But when he's like, you miserable asshole and says it in such an endearing, cute way or whatever. And then when he's telling her he's falling in love with her, you stupid bitch. I mean, <laughs> right. I mean, that, that kind of like undercuts that whole I love you thing because mm, let me tell you what I don't want to hear when I'm being told that I am loved. That does not work for me. Yeah, yeah. But it is something that if this was a rom-com and it was going the typical rom-com direction, right. we would he'd still be the like hero her. and they'd be like, right. he's so cute and funny. and Exactly. Yeah. And mm-hmm. one thing that, that I have forgot that, that, forgotten that I wanted to say is that um, some of, uh, of this stuff reminded me to that very beginning with the construction workers when they're catcalling her, which, you know, like a, a lot of these these people who excuse that kind of behavior are like, oh, they're just trying to pay her a compliment. She should just move on. That's not what it is. It's meant to embarrass and degrade and intimidate the person. And while, you know, Ryan's approach to begging for her forgiveness or to say that I love you, um, that's not what she necessarily wanted in that moment. And then in the end, when she confronts him, she, he does exactly what those construction guys do which they turn it around and become aggressive and rude and they start name calling and negging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that it's all tied up in the same entitlement that, you know, pervades this whole nice guy thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that construct, I just want to say really quickly, that construction worker scene, what I love about it so much is when she just stands there and stares at them and she says nothing. And they're just like, that's what's so great about this character is she can dress these men down in ways where she doesn't even have to speak. She's just right. turning the tables on them. And she makes them so uncomfortable that they're just like, okay. And they it's just a solve confrontation. her. Mm-hmm. It's a wordless confrontation and it worked perfectly yeah. because all she did was live her life, mm-hmm. turn her gaze on them. They didn't enjoy it. They ran away. Yeah. 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 And Sarah? Um, I, I, well, like I said, I have to watch it again. Um, I will probably pick up on more red flags um, uh, the more times that I watch it. But the one that did stick out for me was uh, when they end up at his apartment. He's like, oh, huh. What, what, a, what a coincidence. This just happens to be my apartment. And she's like, oh, no. <laughs> We're not having that. Um and you know she's just like no and 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 walks away um yeah i mean that 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 presumption there because you you're out and having a wonderful time and enjoying each other's company um that somehow women owe you something for that um and even if you think you are a nice guy it it seems to be a common issue <laughs> Uh, amongst uh, men like I I can't even imagine I'm I'm happy I've been married for 21 years I can't even imagine dating right now but that's off topic um you know the other one that I picked up on and I don't know if it was really a red flag or not but I think she had just come back from 
meeting with the lawyer, which I know we'll get into. Um, then he shows up at her house. That was another one um, that uh, I picked up on because she wasn't answering her phone. So you just show up at her house? No, <laughs> that's not the way. And again, that is, it, it's a very common trope in, in romantic comedies. Um, and also very problematic when, when you actually look at it. Um, I, I agree. I think Bo Burnham was, was perfect for this role. I absolutely love him as a comedian. Uh, this is, I think, the first uh, acting role I've seen him in. I have yet to see uh, Eighth Grade. Um, heard that was fantastic as well. Um, but I think uh, I think it was great. I think he did great with the part, coming off as, you know, the the nice guy, you know, very harmless. He's a pediatric surgeon. How could he be bad? He works with kids, you know, just just that whole cliche. Um, and I think they did they did a great job with playing him off as that, but throwing in just enough of those those little romantic comedy red flags that we all see um, to make you think, ah, you know, maybe not as nice of a guy as, as he would come off as being. Yeah, yeah, and and one big red flag um, that I don't hear talked about as much with this is there's a moment, you know, and this is right after he goes to her house and is like, we, you know, had a date, where were you? And, you know, he plays that whole moment. He has this tendency of playing these moments off. It's very light and jokey, but he always has this way of making her feel guilty. Um, and it's just so annoying because it's just like, he's just like always turning it on her up to the very end. He turns it on her and makes her feel guilty and you see it in that. And then you see her, he sees her at a bar when she's doing her character coming out and she's drunk and he's mad at her and upset with her. And he doesn't for one instant, one second think maybe I should try and get her away from this guy, even though he even says, you know, do you even know her name? And he doesn't for one instance, he just walks away and he leaves her alone with this guy. He doesn't know the whole thing. He doesn't know the whole situation. He doesn't know what's going on. And he just leaves her there. And that to me was a huge red flag. But what I think is so interesting about him playing off of her when she is going and meeting all these nice men and knows all their tricks, she's taken in with him. And that's what's so fascinating about it is you see how even if you know these things, even if you know to look out for them, you can still be taken in by it. Um, because he's so clever about it because he's really charming. I mean, he really just is, even though he does these things that just you're like red flag, red flag, red flag. He still has this charm to him, you know, and he's funny. I mean, the whole dinner scene with the parents when he, when they're, when the mom's like, your parents must be so proud of you. And he's like, not really. They wanted me to be a DJ. I mean, that was really funny. <laughs> I laughed. I laughed a lot. I thought it was really cute and sweet. And my heart broke for her along with her. Um, but there's so many things he does, you know, his whole thing of well, what about a friendship? And I'm just secretly pining for you the whole time. And it's just like, just leave her alone. She gave you a fake number. I mean, she gives him a fake number and he comes back still. And he's like, got his glasses on. I think, he, I think they even 
did that in my mind to make him look even more innocent, putting the glasses on and more charming. And, you know, and he just, he always does this little nervous thing with his hands and, you know, he's so cute and charming and sweet. And um, that's why I think it's great that they made his character that way. And Bo Burnham, there's a great interview that he does with another guy. And it's these two guys talking about this movie. And the guy who's interviewing him said, at first I was like, what right do two men have to sit here and talk about this movie? And then he's then uh, Bo Burnham is like, well, I think, you know, women live this and we are complicit in this in society. And so we need to have these conversations. And it was just an interesting interview. And they mentioned in there, there's a scene in the movie eighth grade that he directed and wrote. Um, and there's a scene in there with this girl who's in the eighth, the eighth grade and she has something happen to her um, with a guy. And it's like, you see how that starts at a young age. Um, and this supposed nice guy who's being really nice to her. So it's just, it, it's just interesting. I know that's kind of a tangent, but I just think it was perfect casting with him. If they had cast, I don't know, somebody who was a little bit more, um, I don't know, typical Hollywood hunk guy, I don't think it would have worked as well. Um, and yeah, it's just, he's just so, so perfect in it. And he has so many chances to actually be a good guy. He has so many opportunities to be a good guy up to the very end. And he still isn't a completely, and in his mind, he is a nice guy. In his mind, he is. He doesn't see that he's not a good guy. I mean, his whole thing of, we were kids, we were young. I mean, <laughs> you weren't, you were in your 20s. <laughs> if you're in med school, you're not a kid. I mean, so it's just, it's just, he's just a really, really fascinating character and it adds so much. And I think we've kind of talked about everything of how it says about romantic comedies anyway, because it does show those flags, but instead of making him the hero, it doesn't. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that when we get to the ending, because he has an opportunity to do something good there in the end and he doesn't. And I just want to talk about that because I had my own worries about something that might happen in the end. And I was so glad it didn't, but it would have happened in another movie. So I want to talk about that too. Okay. So let's move on a little bit here and talk about what the film is saying about our complicity as a society in sexual violence. And what I also appreciate about this movie, we're going to move on to women here, um, is how it also says that women can be complicit in this. And when she meets Ryan, you know, they did, they went to med school together and he has this, you know, casual conversation with her and he's bringing up people that they went to med school with. And he says, which this was another red flag to something coming, that he still hangs out with these people and he still sees them. Um, and he talks about how Madison, who you instantly can tell from the look on Cassie's face that she knows who Madison is, even though she says, I don't remember her. Um, and she's like, you know, Madison, he's like, Madison just had twins. And then he mentions Al, who was the guy who raped Nina. And the second he mentions Al, you can see a different kind of plot forming in her head. And she does a different thing in her notebook. And she takes out all these names and she starts with Madison and she goes on fake Facebook, you know, and researches Madison. <laughs> and that's when they start with this one, two, three, four, and then eventually five 
countdown where you see the numerical um, and they've got one on there. And so she meets up with Madison, who's one of her friends. And so I want to talk about that, that meeting with Madison and the meeting with de- the dean of the school as well and what it says about women and their complicity with this, Carla. You know, I really am glad that they called out the complicity that women have um, with this because just absolutely anybody can be party to somebody else's misery. Um, and you don't always have to be the person performing a horrible act to somebody else. You can just be there either egging them on or denying the validity of the accusation later or um, impeding justice in some way, which is exactly what Madison and the Dean both do. Madison was supposed to be their friend. Apparently Nina showed up at at, um, Madison's and Cassie's telling them what happened and Nina rolled her, uh, not Nina, um, Madison rolls her eyes and says, oh, this drama. Wow. What a horrible thing to learn about your friend as you're going through something awful to know that they don't believe you, don't care about you. And even when Madison is watching the videos later and apparently laughing at what Nina went through, to her, it's just funny things that happen in school. No big deal. That's awful. That's absolutely awful. Um, And just like with these guys, they're not boys. They're not children. She was a full-grown woman at that point, and she absolutely should have defended her friend and stood up for her, especially if she has video evidence, come on. Um, but so what I found very fascinating with, with Madison, and that's one thing about Alison Bree is that she has kind of like made her her career playing these very waspy, very uptight, I have it all together, but I don't type of women. And she plays them exceptionally well. And th- this is no different where she is, telling Cassie well yeah I know what happened but why you're bringing it up you know like that was so long ago you know who cares now we've moved on and when she thinks that it happens to her because Cassie gets her drunk puts something in her drink has a guy come and talk to Madison and then take her to her room and he doesn't do anything to her but Madison doesn't know what happened she doesn't know what went on So she has these same concerns and doubts that Nina did. And only when it happens to her does she feel enough remorse to bring Cassie the evidence that she should have brought forward seven years prior. But I feel like that's something that happens very often. Very often a woman will will come forward and say, this happened to me. And other women are like, yeah, but did it? Like... I mean, we all know how much you like to drink. Everybody knows you like to sleep around. So, I mean, is it really not consent if, you know, you've given consent to all these other people prior? And it's an awful aspect of our society that I think that, you know, like, we all think that we're smarter than that now, that we're more enlightened and we would never do something like that. But I also think that until you're in that position, you can't really hold that moral ground over anybody else because frankly who knows what you would do and that's not to excuse Madison it's to accuse all of us 
of having that in the back of our minds that we might want our lives to be easier by extracting ourselves from that situation. Um, with the dean, the the thing is, you know, it's like like HR departments. They're not there to take care of the employee. They're there to take care of the employer and protect them from legal harm. So with the dean, the dean is there to take care of the school. Allegedly, they're there to take care of the students. But in the end, they want the school to succeed. And they want problems to go away as amicably as they can find a way to resolve them. And a lot of times, and, you know, I went to college. I've not personally, but I've heard of people who have gone to the dean with issues. And the dean's like, well, let's all sit down and talk about it. So they're putting you in a room with the person you're accusing. They're making you face them. They're making you confront them and giving you almost no support because they're like, well, let's hear both sides. There's both sides to every story. And that's awful. You know, I, I, I know that um, there are things that must be done to ensure that um, that the truth prevails. But the fact that so often for that to happen, they victimize the person going through this even more. And they allow people to get away with so much for the benefit of the doubt or because the whole thing with the title of the movie being promising young woman when it's often promising young man, because, well, we don't want to ruin this young man's life. He has a promising future ahead of him. It it just, it sickens me. And it, uh, there was absolutely no surprise that just because the Dean is a woman that she allowed Al to slide because that's what happens. It just does. Yeah. And Sarah, yeah, I, I, oh, oh. I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in addition to just being complacent about it, um, you know, and, uh, the other thing I saw was a lot of, and, for, and from Madison, which I think Carla touched on, um, is the victim blaming. You know, well, maybe if you didn't get so drunk and maybe if you didn't, uh, you know, sleep around and, well, that doesn't give anyone the right to rape you, you know, and, and you see it, I mean, you see it with men and, and even women. And I know, I'm, you know, I don't feel that way anymore, but in my younger days, it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't have put yourself in that situation. Well, no, that doesn't give anyone the right to violate you like that. Um, and it happens a lot, um, you know, and, and it happens in marriages <laughs> too, um, you know, and, and it's not, you know, people just look at it and, and, and think, well, you know, maybe she should have made different decisions. Well, you know what, maybe he shouldn't have raped her. Um, so, you know, I, I saw a lot of, I saw a lot of that, not, not as much with the dean, um, but more so with with Madison, um, and I think that's why uh, Cassie chose the punishment that she did with Madison because she didn't understand 
you know, what, what it was like to be in that situation. And she wanted to put her in that situation. Um, and it wasn't until then that she showed remorse and, and realized, okay, I see how this can happen. Um, whereas the Dean went the more, I want to say Brock Turner route. And, well, you know, we don't want to ruin a, a young man's career over accusations. And this is a bunch of he said, she said situation. Um, and I actually did one of the articles I read, um, I guess the term during that trial, the trial of Brock Turner, the um, uh, uh, phrase promising young woman was used to describe uh, uh, his victim. Um was okay. no, I'm gonna no. It was okay. Um, All right, was the, that's the fine. Phrase, Thanks. The phrase "promising young man" was used to describe him. Okay, that's what it was. Sorry, I just wanted to interject that there. No, that no, was, and thank you. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Thank you for that. Um, and uh, now that I've lost my train of thought, no. <laughs> okay, I'll get it back. <laughs> my my brain just shut off. Um. That's what that's what it was, and uh, it, it was one of the articles um, that uh, you know, one of the probably ten that I read on it. Um, but the dean went more that route, um, and and you know we, we don't you know obviously his career and his life is more valued than hers, <clears throat> which you do, and, and you see that a lot in in cases of rape and sexual assault. It's always focused on, well, how is this going to affect him? And what was she doing? What was she wearing? And even the lawyer talks about that, uh, you know, uh, digging up how easy it is to dig up dirt with social media now. Find one picture of, of them drunk at a party and say, here, look, this is, this is what they're like. So she, could she really be telling the truth? Um, you know, and I think the movie brought, you know, addressed, addressed that very well, that this is, you know, when, when a woman is raped, sexually assaulted, this is what we go through. We're not believed. <clears throat> and I know I'm going off on a tangent now as well, but we're not, we're, we're not believed. And it's always the blame of the victim. Um, <clears throat> So I, I sort of like how, you know, even with what Cassie's been doing, how it was turned around and brought back to the men and calling them out on, on what they're doing, that they're taking advantage. And it's, it, you know, it's not, it's not consensual. What you are doing is right. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm going to get very personal here with this because um, this the Dean scene was so reminiscent of something that act, that happened to me um, and a little bit of the Madison scene, but more of the Dean scene. Um, I've said before on our Me Too episode, I went into what happened to me at film school. Um, so I won't delve into that whole thing, but you know what I would, it happened was on videotape as well. Um, and after it happened and I came forward and the main reason I reported what happened to me was honestly, I didn't want something worse to happen to somebody else. And, um, I already had friends that had already had bad experiences with this same person. 
And even the person who was my acting teacher, who was a woman, was aware that this person had issues. And that that was the thing that was so mind-blowing about it. Um, and I remember when it happened to me, I, I reported it and I talked to my acting teacher. My acting teacher's like, oh, my God, you're going to make this huge difference. You're going to be changing so much here. People don't do this. And she even, like, brought up famous actresses and all this stuff. And all these people were supporting me. And I was like, wow, this something's going to get done. And my first inkling that nothing was going to get done <laughs> was the fact that I went to school a couple days later when we were showing some of these scenes that we were going to be doing. And they hadn't told the guy yet that I had come forward. And they hadn't told the person in the scene with me. And they hadn't told the people that were there that I had said something. So they were telling him there when he was going to be there. I was totally caught off guard, had no idea. So I had to sit there in an auditorium while he was there. The guy who was in the scene with me tried to talk to me when I was trying to go into the restroom. I'm like, I'm not talking to you. You knew I told you that I wanted us to stop doing this and you didn't listen to me. You knew I wasn't acting. All this stuff. You knew that, you know, he was trying to push you to do things to me. Um, and that was my first inkling. Then my second inkling was they assigned somebody who was supposed to be there to support me that worked with the school. And it was a woman. And I walked in with all that, with all that knowledge and thought that everything was going to be okay, sat down. And one of the first things she said to me was, were you sexually molested as a child? And I was like, no. And she's already sure. And she kept asking me this over and over again. She's like, because your scene partner um, who was there and the guy that I thought was going to protect me from a lot of things um, said that he thought that that's what happened. Is you just something got brought up for you? And I said, no, that's not what happened. And she said, well, I watched the tape. I had never watched it, never have seen it. I don't even know where it is. I don't know if there are copies everywhere. They claim they kept it, but I don't know. And she said, all I saw was good acting. And I said, well, I was not acting at all. I wasn't acting. This is what happened. He had been grooming me the whole time. He had even wanted to pick out my bra. He took me to a hotel to have like a meeting beforehand and went over this whole plot of some other movie about strippers. I mean, this whole thing was just grooming and grooming and grooming and all these other stuff he did and denying me food, even though he said he was going to give me food saying he was going to be the only other person on set with and having all these strange men around. So I had, a, so it was like instantly it was turned on me. And she said, there's nothing we can do. Nothing bad happened. Nothing. You had a bad experience. It maybe it brought up trauma for you. Nothing happened. I ended up, I was in a class with this, with the, with the director. And so I dropped out of that class. Um, I stopped acting I dropped out of film school eventually um, because I didn't want to go back for the next semester because the guy that was in the scene with me was going to be in one of the classes with me and I didn't want to be in a class with him. And a lot of people were like, you've got to just get over this. Um, I had a guy who was one of those nice guys say, this is just the way it is in Hollywood. This is the way it's going to go. You're going to have a lot worse happen to you. So you either grow thicker skin or you get out of the business. Um, and then I had a woman on the set when this happened. And in the process of the horrible thing that 
happened to me that led up to that, that was filmed when I wasn't acting, she walked out. She literally walked out of the room and she was the only other woman there. And there were about six men, six or seven men. And she was the only woman and she walked out. And I just remember it so vividly because she just walked out. And a lot of my female friends were there for a little bit. And then they kind of drifted away except for about one. Um, I had, you know, women that I understood why other women didn't come forward about the stuff he did to them. I understood that. I would never force anyone to do that because that's a personal private thing. But it is very lonely when you know other people have experienced that and no one else is coming to your defense. And you look like this person who, you know, I regretted it instantly. I was like, I never should have said anything. And I instantly and I still to this day blame myself. And I still to this day, you know, like think, oh, it wasn't that bad. But it was the first, but I know it was because I know how I felt afterwards. I know how when I came home, because my character was wearing skin tight, short skirt, showing everything, you know, that of course, the first thing the director said was you should wear that all the time. But wearing, you know, showing everything, came home, threw it all off and put sweats, baggy shirt on, ordered as much food as I possibly could because I was like, I'm just going to just eat. I'm going to never wear makeup again. I'm never going to all this stuff. And I had never felt that way in my life ever before. Um, So I'm sorry. I know I'm going on this long tangent here, but I just wanted to say just personally how real this is because this is exactly what happens. Um. The person who comes forward, and this is why whenever people are like, we got to, you know, there's two sides to every story. We've got to have hard evidence. I had evidence and people don't care or they still don't care. And the person who comes forward, their life is what gets ruined. My, I had dreamed of being an actress since I was a little kid. I used to put on plays. It was my dream. I had teachers saying I could actually be a success. That all went away and I know someday maybe I can get it back but that all just vanished that moment and so I understood to me that's why this movie means so much but that scene was so real with the Dean even more than the scene with Madison because it was like she's a woman and in your logically you think they should know better but they can be just as complicit and she was just out for the school and the woman I met with was just out to protect the school too. And it was like, in a way, the stuff that happened afterwards was almost worse than the stuff that happened to me because it was like getting assaulted, getting victimized over and over again and being told what you were doing was great and then being left alone to deal with it and having everybody leave you and abandon you. It's just a very, very hard things. So I just, sorry, I went on a tangent there. I just wanted to say that because that was what was so impactful to me about those two women was how honest and true it was. And I don't think you see enough of that in stories like this. So yeah. Okay. So thanks for letting me go on a little tangent there. I just had to say that because it's just been something I've wanted to say since I watched the movie. Um, okay. Well, and sh- another person she goes and confronts is the attorney that was representing Al um, during this whole case. 
And this is a very, very, very interesting character and very interesting scene because she goes to him and he's immediately dealing with his own remorse over what happened. Um, So what are your thoughts on the attorney, Carla? Okay. Well, first, I was glad that someone, anyone remembered Nina and deeply regretted their part in her traumatization. But it did make me uncomfortable that it was a man. And it's such a nitpicky thing. But I was like, you know, really? I'm glad that they call out the complicity of women, like I said before. I think it's important to put that in front of people's eyes to say, listen, this actually happens uh, regardless of who is supposed to be on your side or who you think is supposed to be on your side. But it just makes it all the more glaring that it's a man who carries the baton over the finish line. You know, um, it's also interesting that that was a very big hulking guy who gets very physically close to Cassie, who seems to frighten her, and she ultimately absolves him. And it, it made me wonder whether the point was to have her frightened by his size or or by his vehemence, because other than when Al kills her, she had not shown sign of fear in the movie at all. So that that was it's very interesting. Um, and Alfred Molina was great in it. I, I really you could feel like the regret that the character felt it was really it just felt very real that he seemed to carry all of this with him um but still like i'm sure that there are reasons for choosing to have a man in this role and and all of that um but you know one thing also is that it makes it very interesting that um you know going back to ryan for a second it says a lot about the trust that Cassie had in Ryan, that the person she sent the phone and letter to in the end was this attorney and not him. But that's, you know, that's a, a little aside thing. But yeah, I mean, like, I don't hate it. But I don't love it. I just thought it was an interesting uh, choice. Yeah. And Sarah? That's interesting. I, you know, I didn't really um, view it that way, but that's a um, sort of an interesting take on it. And you know, there there is probably a reason that uh, they chose for for that to be a man. Um, I mean, and it it could be I, when you have cases, um, you're most likely going to have male attorneys defending male clients, um, and that could be why. Um, I thought it was, um, like you said, great to have someone who remembered her and, and felt remorse for what they did. Um, and he, I think because of that, he earned Cassie's trust. Um, and that's why she ended up in ultimately in the end, uh, giving him the information, the the phone and, and the note, should something happen to me, um, you know, go to the police, this is where I am. Um, yeah, I don't think I really have much more to, uh, to say on it that hasn't been said already. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is interesting. That is an interesting point you bring up, Carla, with him, with it being a man. Um, cause I actually didn't have a problem with that, but I totally see what you're saying. 
Um, and it is interesting to me that it is one of the few times you see any fear in her with her literally like jumping when he gets so close to her. Um, and what I thought was interesting when you compare it to when uh, Ryan is at, is saying, you have to forgive me. And when the attorney is begging for forgiveness and she forgives the attorney and she of course doesn't forgive Ryan. And I think a lot of that is the attorney number one does seem actually genuinely remorseful. Um, the attorney remembers Nina's name. Nobody remembers Nina's name. Even Ryan early on when he's saying, you know, Madison, I thought you guys were friends. You and that other girl. And you know, that other girl is Nina and he doesn't even remember her name. Um, you know, even towards the end when, you know, when Cassie's wearing the half of the necklace that has Nina's name on it. And so Nina's name is right there. And of course, Al remembers her name, but that makes sense that he would remember her name. Um, but all these people forgetting your name and this attorney actually does. And I think that's what makes a big difference for her is she wasn't expecting that. She was expecting him to be totally like the Dean, like Madison, like every man she has taken home or has taken her home, excuse me, sorry. Um, she was expecting that. And when that didn't happen, I think that's part of the reason she looks so vulnerable is not just the fear, but also like this was not what I was expecting to happen. And, you know, you kind of can guess that she was going to have a man go in there and you don't know what that guy was going to do. Was he going to hurt the attorney? Was he going to just scare the attorney? Was he going to physically intimidate him? You don't know. And she calls that off because he showed true, genuine remorse and he remembered her name. And I think that's what was most important to her was that he really did remember who Nina was because nobody remembered Nina. Everybody remembered Al and nobody remembered Nina. So that made a big, big impression on her, I think. Um, and what's so interesting to me is that following that attorney scene, directly following it is the scene where she goes and visits Nina's mom. And that scene also is the scene that kind of pushes her to go, okay, I'm going to leave this behind and I'm going to go try and have a life with Ryan. I'm going to go and try and have a normal life and be happy. And so I just think it's interesting that those two scenes happen and it's almost like she's like, okay, maybe I can let this go. Maybe I can actually be normal. So I just, I think it's very, very interesting part. Um, yeah. And it, and it takes a lot of faith and trust that this attorney really does want to redeem himself. The fact that she sends that stuff to him because he could have been like, never, I'm not going to get involved with this. So yeah. Yeah. And of course she knows that, We'll get to that later. What Ryan wouldn't have done anything, but <laughs> um, but I want to just briefly say in this movie, one thing I really appreciate about this movie is there's very little actual violence in this movie. There's very little action. There's you do not ever see the sexual assault against Nina. Um, and you know you do watch because what happens is of course Madison tells Cassie that it was videotaped and that she still has the videotape. She has an old Blackberry phone with the video. She leaves it on the coffee table and tells Cassie, you know, you shouldn't watch that, but you can do with it whatever you want. And she watches it and you just see Cassie's face watching it and you never see the video. 
you can only hear basically all you hear is men and then of course you hear the very distinct voice of ryan and that's when you know ryan was there and ryan saw it happen and he knew it was videotaped because he says don't turn that camera on me um and so i want to talk about that with the decision for us not to see the video and to never see what happened to nina what do you think about that decision carla i i absolutely loved it and i really appreciated it because i think too often there's a reliance on the show of somebody being violently uh just treated with violence in so many ways whether it's in movies that that feature black people which are so often depictions of pain and anti-race and and racist violence um same thing with a lot of movies that feature uh gay characters shows where you know they end up getting beaten up by somebody or another um and a lot of the times it just feels gratuitous and it, it can be so damaging and so much more triggering than um than other ways that somebody could use to convey that this is what's going on. So I really appreciated that, that they kept that off the screen, that they uh, managed to get across the damage inflicted on these two women without showing us a rape scene. And also another thing about that is that a lot of the times it, it centers the men, or at least it features them so prominently that that's all you're really paying attention to. Um, either because of the way that they're shot or because you don't want to look at a woman in pain. So you end up just staring at this horrible human being doing horrible things. So I, uh, I was impressed by that and also relieved to not have to watch it. Yeah. And Sarah. No, I agree. I think uh, if, if they had shown it, I don't know if I would have been able to get through the movie. Um, and I think in, in showing it would take away from it as well. I don't think the, the story would have been as powerful um, had we actually witnessed what happened. Um, I, you know, I think just seeing Cassie's pain and what she's gone through um and then, you know, just just that little bit of audio that you hear uh, when she when she first watches it, and then again when she shows it to Ryan. Here, I want you to see this. Um, I think that's all all we absolutely needed, and I think that was a great call um, in, in by the director by in in the writing to not do that because it would have it, it just it wasn't it wasn't necessary. Um, and you would just be adding violence to the movie just for the sake of violence. Um, and that's not what they were trying to do. So I think, I think it was an excellent call personal. Yeah, no, I agree. And you get the whole feeling just by watching Cassie's face. That's all you need is to watch Cassie's face and her heartbreak and the pain in listening to that. You don't need to see it. And if this had been made by a man, I think we would have seen it, honestly. Um, that's another reason why it's so important that this was directed by a woman and written by a woman. Um, because I don't think it would have 
have, I don't think it would have been the same at all. I think you probably would have even opened up with like the actual rape um, and not opened with the amazing shot of the men dancing horribly. I don't think I, you know, I don't, <laughs> sorry, I just had to put, throw that in there because I think it's one of the best openings ever <laughs> of a movie is that shot of the men just dancing and they're just crotches. And it's just like, the total female gaze instead of the male gaze. It's just, it's really, really incredible. But yeah, it, w- it wouldn't have been necessary. And I, that's one thing I really appreciate about this movie is there's so little violence in this movie. And which we're going to get to this very soon here. And her death is very violent. But what I also appreciate about that is that it's not sexually violent. There is actually nothing sexual about her death at all um which i really appreciated that because again i think if this had been directed by a man i think he would have like raped her and then killed her or something so i really appreciated that yeah just that that opening shot of the men gyrating in their khakis was hilarious because how many times do you see a movie starting out and they're in a club and it's mm-hmm. women and the like the the short skirts or whatever yeah. and in this case it's like you know, everybody in the accounting team <laughs> going out for for a hangout in their khakis, and they're probably drinking their their Bud Lights. Yeah, and they probably all think they look really sexy and hot. And <laughs> oh, for sure, because that, that's one of the things. Of course, they men. do. Men don't have to really work very hard yeah. to feel attractive. You know, the bar is so yeah. low for them that <laughs> they just go out there and they're like, "Look at me." You know, it's not, not like we, they don't have to put on makeup and actually dance well and wear pants that fit well and that all don't look the same. Yeah. And of <laughs> course, with the wonderful boys song playing, it just makes it even better. <laughs> and so that segues into what I want. And I'm going to combine these two because I do want to talk about this, even though I know we're running short on time here. But I do want to talk about this before we move on to the ending Um, because I think it's important is the music that's used in this movie and the use of pastel colors. The color scheme in this movie is incredible. And I know this wasn't an accident. So I want to talk about that. So, Carla, what are your thoughts on the music and the use of color? All of it was perfect. And the reason why is that it highlights the femininity, the one that highlighted it. It highlights the more lethal you know, um, front that they want us to see when they wanted to, the use of Britney's toxic, but with a very, you know, it, it's kind of the way that, um, that get out and us used movies from our youth, but they made them slow down and deeper mm-hmm. and really makes us dread something happening. And when it's playing, when the movie plays toxic by Britney, but in this very scary way, you know something's about to happen and you know that oh it, it's just the perfect setup right there and that also incorporates the pastel colors in the costume that Cassie wears you know pink and whatever there are a lot of colors that are considered feminine but pastel in particular is such an innocent uh family of colors because it, it's supposed to kind of convey innocence softness a lot of these things and the way that it's used in this movie it's perfect because her makeup and all of these different facets of her of her life 
mean something. There's a very natural look about her when she's just going out about her day, whether it's at home or in the coffee shop. There's a more dark, seductive, but also kind of um, predatory makeup look when she goes out on hunts. And then there's this, when she's trying to come off as more innocent and, and sweet, she has these more pastel colors. Um, it's also very non-threatening, so you don't really know what's coming. So it's it's amazing. And, you know, I hate that Paris Hilton song with a passion, but the fact that they made it cute, I will never forgive. <laughs> I know, I know. I still have it in my head. <laughs> That and boys is constantly playing in my head, <laughs> um, Sarah. You know, um, usually I am very good at picking up music in uh, movies. Um, this one I did not because I really wasn't very, I mean, I'm not familiar with the Paris Hilton song. I'm not familiar with the Britney song. So that could be why I did not pick up on it. Um, again, that's probably going to be one of those things that uh, when I rewatch it, I will pick up on it. Um, yeah, definitely the, the, the use of the colors. Um, I mean, you could see that and, you know, um, McLovin <laughs> even picks, you know, he, he comments on that, uh, you know, why, why are you wearing so much makeup? And you, you do see that, that when she is out, um, and, uh, she's got the, the very, very heavy eye makeup, um, almost to the point where her eyes are almost blacked out in a way. Um, whereas when she's in the coffee shop, she has more the natural um, makeup scheme to her. Um, even in the choice of, uh, of her clothing, like the pink, the pastel pink sweater that she's, that she wears. Um, and, and when she meets with um, um, the lawyer, she's in the, the pastel blue dress. Um, so, you know, again, I don't, I, it wasn't necessarily something I picked up on um, right away, but it's until Carla started talking about it. I'm like, oh yeah, <laughs> I, that, that, you know, I started playing it back in my head. I'm like, yeah, they're, they're really, the way they use the colors within uh, the movie was very, very well done. And again, I will pick up on more than that when I watch it again, which will hopefully be very soon. Fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah and and the the use of music um you know as i've said music is very very important um and the writer director emerald Fennell, she said you know that pop music um is often looked down upon and thought of as not deep and she loves pop music she loves the music she used in this she said that she thinks britney spears is incredibly talented and thinks the song Toxic is one of the best songs ever written. And she said it was very important to have these songs in here for her. Because she wanted to show that you can like these songs. It's okay to like these songs. There's more to these songs than just catchy tunes. And that was very important to her. For the Paris Hilton song, she said, you know, I thought, what song would make me really fall for a guy if he knew all the words? And she's like, it would not be impressive to me if the guy knew a Linkin Park song. So I'm going to have it be a Paris Hilton song. And she was just like, that's, it just made sense to me. It was like, okay, if he knew all the words to this, I would instantly be like, oh, I'm going to fall all over you. So it was very, very intentional. Um, the colors 
Um, I want those nails so badly. <laughs> I want those nails and I'm going to have them. Um, we're trying, we're trying. <laughs> I'm trying to win the nail polish. We've entered you. But, it, uh, but every, all the colors are very intentional. Um, a lot of people have made the point that she is stuck at the age she was in when she was in med school. So her clothing almost reflects that. Um, and what she's wearing and, and all those choices. And of course, when she goes out um, at night, her choices are different and her makeup is usually smudged in some way um, to give her more disorder, more vulnerability in a weird way. Um, and the whole scene when she's watching that video instruction thing, which uh, trivia, that's the writer and director who is doing that video blowjob lips thing. Uh, that's her because she's also an actress. You know, it's just everything is intentional in this movie. Um, and I just think it was a great color scheme. And I think the songs are perfect. I love the title sequ- sequence with um, that version of It's Raining Men. I think that was perfect as well. Um, so, yeah, I just it's another thing that I just love about this movie. But I wanted to touch on that. Okay, so we're going to go to the ending. Um, And, of course, this is the most talked about part of this movie. Because in the end, Cassie goes to Al's bachelor party after she blackmails Ryan in a way to tell her where this bachelor party is when she confronts him with the tape and says she's going to send it to everybody and maybe he'll lose his job. And she goes out there, poses as a stripper, And she ends up being murdered by Al, suffocated in a very excruciatingly painful scene to watch. Um, And then Al and his horrible friend, not Schmidt, Joe, um, (laughs) so he was um, who I have to say the performance is that of that character. I mean, he is so good. Um, So they end up, you know, burning her body, which is also a very painful scene to watch. And then, of course, Cassie gets her real revenge in the end at the wedding. So I want to talk about the whole ending. Carla, what are your thoughts on the ending? Did you like it? What did you think of the whole thing? I still don't know if I like it or if I don't. I'm just very torn about it because there's so much to think about. All I know is that it was surprising, but also pretty much the, I don't know. It's it's like realistically the only way it could have gone down. But at the same time, I'm like, but did he really need to be able to loosen some, loosen himself from the handcuffs? Why, 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 why? Um, there's just, oh, okay. <sighs> Let me actually look at my notes so that I actually sound coherent. Um, one thing that I want to start with is that the use of Max Greenfield's frenetic energy was perfect for that role because it cements that Joe as a character is what would drive a, a, a like a different kind of movie where the setup is for a comedy. You know, stripper dies at a bachelor party. Poor bachelor, poor guests. Whatever will these boys do to get out of this wacky entanglement? And so that, that kind of it, it's so jarring from everything else that we've seen that it really kind of leaves you like, what the hell's going on? And it's very important also because without um, Joe there and without that particular performance from Max Greenfield it wouldn't have made as much sense and it would have been a much rougher transition, I think, between a POV of Cassie and the POV of um, everybody else. Because right there, you're, you're getting um, 
Al's story for a couple of minutes when he and George deciding what to do when they decide to go and burn Cassie's body, which was, you know, other than the fact that she was just brutally murdered, it's such a an almost more of a violation. It, it just I, I still can't form words around all of those things. Um, and it's interesting that throughout the movie, she gets these shows of regret and contrition from the guys that she confronts in their homes when she, you know, stops playing drunk. But are they actually sorry? You know, because it, ta- it makes more sense in my mind that they're playing along to get her to leave and back off than for them to actually suddenly regret what they do and that, you know, to see the light or, um, or whatever. So is it, you know, is it really the end that she sought and what satisfaction can come from that. And that's part of what makes her story so sad is that in the end, I don't know that she really did make a difference because they'll just write her off as like, Oh, this one person I met this one time. Oh, I don't know that that will be enough incentive for them to not do it again. You know what I'm saying? So, and because this movie, the way that it builds, um, to an expected climax to where you think it's going to go, it positions itself as a revenge thriller, and then it's a portrait of woman in, in anguish. Then there's like the rom-com portion. We we move back to the self-flagellation after she feels so horribly betrayed because it is a huge betrayal. Um, and everything gets subverted. Everything that you just watched in the past hour and a half leaves you uh, in a much more stark conclusion, which is that the heroine, even though in the end she got the villain arrested, she dies without being able to witness the justice that she sought. And for me, pretty much the sadder thing is that even if he ends up in jail, it would be for Cassie's murder. But he'll always justify to himself that it was self-defense. And he might even be able to convince somebody it was self-defense. Just as he justified Nina's rape as drunk kids being drunk. So again, what did Cassie really accomplish in the end? You know, and that's why I think it feels unsatisfying, but realistic. Because if we really look at society as a whole, if we really look at what we're conditioned to see in these things of boys will be boys of, you know, these are just kids. We really want to ruin this promising young man's life over a moment of, you know, a momentary indiscretion. That's what we're really up against and that Cassie thought that this would be the final blow and would solve everything is deeply tragic because we don't know if it could. We don't know if he will actually face any real consequences because, yeah, but, you know, she got everybody wasted and then she tried to carve somebody's names into his chest. You know, I think that he made the same decision in defending himself. It's just... Oh, there's so much sadness left in my heart after after that because I don't know that she accomplished anything that she wanted. Sarah, your thoughts? Um, you know, I think I think you said it best. Um, it was unsatisfying but realistic, um, and and I I agree with that. I mean, it's definitely not the ending. I, I I'm not quite sure what I was thinking the ending would be, but it was not that. <laughs> um. I don't feel that if you, uh, the more I think about it, the more I actually do like the ending. However, um, I 
don't feel that Cassie will ever, or she ever got the closure that she was looking for. Um, you know, she had this, you know, this elaborate plan set up, obviously, between setting up the texts uh, to be sent to Ryan at a certain time and, and giving the uh, the phone and, and the note to the, the attorney, um, having Al arrested at his wedding, <laughs> um, which I thought was, I, I actually kind of thought that was fantastic. Um, of course, then Joe running off um, you know, him, him just seeing all this shit going down and he just takes off. Um, you know, it, it, I think I, I can't, the, like I said, the more I think about it, I, I don't know another way it could have ended. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the ending that Cassie wanted, but I think it's the ending that she knew was going to happen. Um, you know, I, I, like we've said, she was going into the wolf's den and she didn't know what the outcome was going to be. And I think she she did feel that there was a good chance that she would die. Um, you know, and I think that was a real uh, a fear. I don't know if it was a fear for her, um, but she felt that that was something that could happen. Um, and that scene was very hard to watch. Um, you know, sort of in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, Oh, she's going to fake this and just pop up the next day, you know, and as soon as they burn her body, I'm like, she's really dead. Okay. I was not expecting that. Um, you know, it was, and I could see why some people, you, you watch movies like this and you expect, you know, the heroine to conquer all and, and come out with the happy ending. And that's not what, that's not necessarily what we got. Uh, so I could see why people might be upset with it, but I think it was, it was really the only realistic ending um, that they could do. Uh, and, you know, I think she's been dead inside for a long time. Um, and this is, this was sort of a, a means to an end for her. And it did, it, it also did leave me with uh, just, just a lot of sadness and, and lack of closure for her, um, which, you know, I didn't get too emotional <laughs> um, watching it. You know, it was, it was a little bit difficult, but, uh, you know, overall, I think they did it. They, the performances from everyone were just fantastic. Um, I think it was cast very, very well. Um, so overall, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. The casting in this movie is perfect. Everybody. It's just perfect. Um, yeah, the ending is very, very, very painful and hard to watch. Um, her murder is, whew, it's long. It feels even longer than it is. Um, and I know the director wanted it to be as realistic because a lot of times you'll see somebody suffocating someone or strangling them and it's over in like two seconds. And that's not the way it realistically, I guess, is. Um, I just know this from interviews. I don't, you know, that's, all, that's what I've heard. Um, and so she wanted it to be as realistic. And what's interesting about that scene is it gets quieter the second the pillow is put over her face. Um, except for you do hear the excruciating scream, that scream that she lets out. And I guess that had to be recorded 
um, in post-production and Carrie Mulligan said that was the most, one of the most painful days for her was to go in there and record that. Um, and it is a very, very, very hard scene to watch and him just saying over and over again, stop moving, stop moving, just stop moving. And then, um, I was like, Sarah, I really did think she was going to just all of a sudden get up somehow because in my, in your brain, that's what you would normally, you would think that's going to happen. She's the heroine and there's 20 more minutes of this movie. I mean, she can't just like be like dead. Um, but then you really know when Joe goes up there and looks underneath the pillow and you don't see it, which I'm so grateful. We never saw her face. Um, but you can tell by his look that you know that she is. And it's interesting because it's like, there's almost like this dark comedy that's added to there because there are a lot of movies that are like that story that would have picked up there and started there. And then been about the men trying to hide this murder of the stripper, you know, that's happened in movies. There have been lots of movies. Like Joe even says, what is this? The nineties? Um, we're killing the stripper, you know, that kind of thing before he realizes she's really dead. But him going, Joe, when he hops up on the bed and he just pushes her arm aside, I'll go back to my thoughts here. We're going to have Carla um, close out. She has to hop off. So go ahead, Carla. Thank you. I'm Carla Temis. And along with Meg Griffin, another one of the frequent guests, uh, we have a podcast called Bed, Wet or Behead. You can find us on any uh, podcast service and on Twitter at Bed, Wet, Behead Pod. Thank you so much, Erin. Thank you. Thanks for being on. Um, but that the whole scene where he jumps up and he pushes her arm and her hand aside, Joe does. The callousness of that was so like gut wrenching. It was just like she, he didn't. She was nothing. And then when you see him do that in the fire, when he pushes her hand back into the fire, that was also gut wrenching. And one thing I thought was going to happen because there was so much time left is I'm like, what are they going to do with this time is I thought because Ryan first gets this chance when the detective comes to him and says, you know, because he knows where she went. Oh, yeah. And asks that and he doesn't say anything. So he has the chance to be the good guy there and he doesn't say it because he's covering his butt. And then there's the wedding. And I honestly thought before those scheduled messages came in that Ryan was going to somehow be this hero and he was going to be like, make some big scene or something was going to happen. And that doesn't happen. And I'm so grateful that didn't happen because I think in a different movie, he would have ended up being the hero in the end, or he would have gone out there and saved her at the bachelor party or something like that. And it wouldn't have been true and real, but I think in a lesser film that would have happened. Um, I think the use of angel, in the morning, it, it just, oh my gosh, just the way that song was used was mm-hmm. so perfect. And the final emoji, the wink emoji at the end was the best use of an emoji I've ever seen oh, in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I just want to, so those are some of my thoughts. I also just want to quickly just say um, Carrie Mulligan in this movie is one of the best performances I have ever seen in my life. She is incredible in this movie. Um, she's just, everything she does is so incredible in this film. I, 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 she does so much with so, with nothing sometimes without a piece of dialogue, with just a look in her eye. Just, you can see when she switches from one side of Cassie to the other side of Cassie. Um, 
it's beautiful. It's amazing watching her interact with other characters, uh, watching her at the coffee shop. Um, it, it, everything about her performance is flawless and amazing. And I don't think any other person could play this character the way that she played this character. And I think she deserves every award in the book. Um, I just, it's just simply a breathtaking performance. So I just wanted to make sure that I put that in there because I was going to be very sad if I didn't get to laud her there for how amazing she is. Because um, everybody's great in this, but she's just oof. phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, there's just, the, we had brought up the scene before where she's being catcalled by the construction workers. I mean, and she has no dialogue. Mm-hmm during that scene and she just stands there and stares them down and you could just see from her, her, her posture, her body language, like she's, she's just, she doesn't even want to, I I don't even know how to describe it. (laughs) Um, I mean, she's just over it and she just doesn't even want to engage them. And she is just doing whatever she can to make them, throwing it back at them and make them as uncomfortable as possible. Um, yeah. I, I think this is actually, I don't, I think this is the first movie I've seen with her. Um, okay. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how that's possible, but I, I was just floored. She was perfect. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. She was incredible. I've sadly heard that I guess there was one review and she, you know, she spoke out against it where a reviewer said she wasn't pretty enough to play this oh, part. Yeah. I and that it, that's horrible. That's not yeah. true. That's she is a gorgeous woman and yeah. it doesn't, it wouldn't even matter even if she wasn't. Cause that's not the point, but I just, but, and they were saying because Margot Robbie's production company um, is involved in this and Margot Robbie. Yeah, I saw that. So all these people were saying Margot Robbie should have done this, but that, uh, but no, I mean, and I love Margot Robbie, but the, yeah. no, it's, it's her, it's Carrie Mulligan's movie. So yeah. 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 She's just, yeah, I, had, I had heard that the same and uh, that she wasn't hot enough for, for the part. I'm like, what the, really? That, uh, that, that could be a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, just, that's just, just talking about that. Yeah, that's just yeah. ridiculous. But um, okay, well, I could, I could seriously, I could talk about this movie for twenty hours. Um, I, I, we didn't even get to a lot of the stuff I wanted to talk about. Um, but there's because there's so much to talk about with this movie. Um, but we'll go ahead and close out. Um, and Sarah, if you want to just tell everybody where they can find you, um, uh, you can find me on Facebook, uh, Sarah Barnick, um, or on Twitter. At Nate Care Mom, that's N A T E C A M M O M. Awesome. And this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at E April Beauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback about Promising Young Woman, um, if you have anything you want to say at all about the show, feel free to reach out to us via email at itsafandomthingpod at gmail.com. And remember, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That helps us get found. Check out our Redbubble store. Um, Yeah, 
and on our and next week we are going to be starting our um in february we're celebrating black history month so we are going to be talking about denzel washington and viola davis next week so that should be a lot of fun so until next time remember it's a fandom thing and black lives matter everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body including those involved in hormonal balance from functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.